0: Good morning, will you stand with me?
1: Worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See, see how resolve overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of faith, you conquer the grave. You're free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance, we dance, you free to awaken alive. life. Oh, Jesus, so save you, you lay lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things, oh, and I know You will do it again. And Your promises, yes and amen, You will do great things. Can't You do great things. oh yeah. Captain and break every chain oh god you have done great things that we're dancing your freedom awakening life oh jesus our savior your name lifted high oh god you have done great things we sing hallelujah Above it all, hallelujah, God. Shake a bow Of the grave, you'll free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance, you'll free to awaken alive. Oh Jesus, I save you. Your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. You have done great things. Oh God, you too great.
0: Worship arts director here on days like today where we have our skeletal crew me and Josue here this morning <laughs> moments like this acoustically can get pretty vulnerable um personally I started leading worship when I was 16 17 for my peers um which is obviously pretty intimidating but um I learned like this where I didn't have the fancy technology, I didn't have a whole band. I didn't really know how to like lead lead people yet. I just had my heart, my worship and you know, sometimes it's enough. And uh, this morning as we sing these songs together, we're kind of being brought back to that space of simplicity. And it can be vulnerable and it can feel revealing and it's a time where God wants to be present and speak to you very personally. And so as we sing these songs together, I hope that that's what you find, that he's faithful in and out of season.
1: Carried the burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear Your invitation to let all go. I see. Laying it down and I don't know that I need you. i run to the Father, i fall in the grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My soul needs a salvage, my soul feels afraid. So i am run to the Father, again and again and again and comprehend all I know is I need. you will sing I run to the Father i fall into grace I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait my heart needs a certainty, my soul needs a prayer so I run to the Father again and again and again, and again, and again. So cries out. Oh, 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 oh. I has been in your sights. Don't be for my husband, building into your arms, run into life. From deep, I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling. Out. just as I am trusting in You, pull me in. And all I know is I need You.
0: We sing this as a prayer this morning. Not because we're strong, but because we're weak, and He is strong in our weakness. Run to the Father,
1: the Father in the grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. Because my heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again. Come with the high and no reason to wait My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend Shall I run to the Father again and again and again and again Oh, oh Sing
0: so grateful that in moments where sometimes we don't have the words for our season you have all that that we can run to you in times of joy, in times of desperation and in times of need and find you faithful that you're not just one season you're every season and despite feelings because those can really trick us, we find you faithful.
1: I could say these songs As I often do Ever song my stand But you never do But you never do Let's sing this out So I throw up my hands And praise you again and again Yes I do 'Cause all that I have is a heart, let's surrender that heart. Who I know it's not much, I know it's not much. I'm nothing else fit for a king except for this, except for heart in life one response I've got one response and I've got just one new let me see those arms with my arms stretched wide in every season I will worship you so I bow my hands and praise you again and again cause you're faithful the all that I have is your heart mm-hmm. mm-hmm. say, holiday.
0: settings like this it's hard to be bold it's hard to sing out sometimes but if you can think of that one time in your life that one season where you weren't sure if you were going to make it out and here you are standing here today and God says I just ask and desire your heart I desire your praise come on my
1: soul. Don't you get on me lift up your song. Lift it up. Because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the your... Lord. The Bible says even the rocks will cry out because he deserves our praise. Come on, my soul. Don't you get on me lift up your song. You've got a lion inside. Kiddo Pamper alone. Come on, my soul. Come on, my soul. Don't you get me? Lift up your song. Cause you've got a line inside of those loves. Kiddo Pamper alone. Faithful and sunshine and rain You see us in joy and in pain Cause that's who you are That's who you are
0: God, thank you for who you are and what you've done as we sing this last chorus, be glorified and be honored. So I fold
1: my hands and sing, praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah. For a Except for a
0: God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, we are standing here in your grace because of what you accomplished. May our hearts be soft and open to your word this morning, that we be transformed inside, that we not be susceptible to the worlds and the influences around us, but we be listening to your voice and yours alone. We love and praise you. In your name we praise these things, and the church say,
2: Amen. Amen. All right, well... Good morning, Grace Point Church. I need to work on my core a little bit there. Yeah, so it's good to see you. And again, I kind of sermonized a little bit uh, more than I'm going to right now. But I want to bring up something that you just had an opportunity to hear and possibly respond to. I think some of these songs that we encourage you to not just sing, but to engage with your heart and with your head. Sometimes it has to do with your hands. We never want to force you. We never want to manipulate you. And actually, if your heart isn't raised to God, neither should your hands be. Um, but you know, there are some times when these 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 symbolisms in Scripture are are pretty powerful and personal. And When I think of me this morning raising my hands, and I think of many of you that have gone through losses. This past week, there has been some losses in our church family. Men of fact, a Church, our size, there's losses. Uh, pretty much every week, as long, along with some victories uh, every week as well. But there are times when you're going to go through loss, and there are times when God is going to want to penetrate that loss with his love, with his presence. And that's kind of what I envision this is symbolizing. And again, when you raise your hands to God, you have options. One is you, you live this way. No, I'm already full. Thank you. I don't want any more of you. I've seen the fanatics on the corners and I don't want to be like them. And so, no, God, that's, that's a choice. Or this. No, I've trusted before, I've been burned before. No. So, again, you go through all these things, but there's a moment. I God, I'm going to go ahead and risk something. I'm going to risk being open to what you have for me. Hold that thought, because at the end of this, before you take communion, if you choose to, I do believe that God has something for you. That is going to be impacted from his word this morning. So uh, have an open heart right now. I ask you to just be God, yes, whatever you want to whisper, whatever you want to go ahead and... Uh, and stretch me with. God, I pray that you would go ahead and, uh, and share. And I'm going to work at having my heart open to it. Because there's something I'm going to bring back uh, a little bit later on. So now let's get to a Thursday night. We've been on this same Thursday night for the last three weekends. This is the Thursday night between two famous Sundays. It's not just biblical Sundays. They are historical Sundays. you got Palm Sunday. And you have Easter Sunday. And that's kind of the Passion Week that comprises the last like six chapters of uh, of the Gospel of Mark. And so we're kind of halfway through that. We're in Mark chapter 14. So if you have a Bible um, on the phone or something, you know, that you you know carried in here, open up to Mark chapter 14, please. I'd like for you to uh, read and reflect along with me and not just, and again, look up. Uh, at me so yeah, let's, let 's let let 's do this together because uh, there 's some things i 'm going to encourage you to circle there 's some things I might even get you to write down in the cross references uh, that might help you a, a, a little bit a little bit later on so this has already been a long night uh, matter of fact. Uh, in other Gospels, more details are given. I'm going to stick primarily to the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest Gospel. He gives the least detail. And I'm going to throw in a few things. But uh, it's been a long night. Even in Mark's Gospel, it's been a long night. You know, in John's uh, Gospel, back in John 13, the, 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 the foot washing and uh, John 17, the, the real Lord's Prayer, all that is on the same night. Uh, But Mark focuses in on two events that we have covered the last two weekends, and now we get into what I'm going to be starting to call the beginning of the end. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we talked about this Seder, this Lord's Supper that has been going on since 1446 B.C., uh, an orderly dinner that the Jewish people did Around the the country. And if you're within 15 miles of Jerusalem. You're mandated to do it within the walls of Jerusalem. And you go through the Seder. You go through the order. You go through the reminder. Of how God set your people free. Back in the days of Moses. And then that deliverance can help you trust that there is more deliverance coming. So we did that two Sundays ago. And then the same night after that, they leave Jerusalem. They go east down through the Kidron Valley, up on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, and they find their way into Gethsemane, a place where a lot of olive trees are there. And this is a place where the olive trees are crushed and, and, and put in a vice, and, and the oils uh, are, are made to be sold, or to, or to, to be used. Literally, Gethsemane means olive press. And in this place, Jesus felt pressure. And we talked about that where he literally prayed in the dirt. And, uh, and literally, he prayed, God, uh, take this mission from me. Take this cup from me. And then he left there, not distressed, he left there at peace. He left there confident. You don't see him being troubled anymore. Now you see him uh, valiant, confident, and, uh, and you're going to see that in full color in, in the last part of Mark chapter 14. So then now uh, when he's in the garden, he leaves eight. Judas has already left. Uh, he leaves eight in the beginning, the the, the, the the earlier portion of the garden. And then he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit farther into the garden where he says, I'm going to be right over there. You watch and pray. Watch how I pray. Watch me. Let's do this together. And so after that, uh, Jesus sees the torches coming. He, he knows who is coming. He knows the crowd and what they are about to do. And so Jesus says, hey, Peter, James, and John, let's go back and rejoin the others. And so that's what Jesus does. He goes back to the more of the entrance of the garden. And that's where the, the, the mob uh, engages Jesus. And where Jesus engages the mob. I think Jesus went back there because he didn't want any other blood to be shed that night but his. He's going to get beat up. The spitting and the harassment and the hitting starts This night and Jesus said, I'm the only one that needs to go through that. And so he goes back to the others and now there's 11 and uh, Jesus addresses. And by the way, this is where the kiss of Judas uh, happens. So let's jump right on in. And uh, I think that there's some stuff for you and I as we read the scriptures together. So. Uh, Mark chapter 14, 43 and 44. I'm calling this section the beginning of the end. It's not the end of Jesus. He's still alive and well, by the way. Uh, But this is the end of the strategizing. This is the end of the planning. Now the planning starts taking traction. Um, Now the arrest is going to happen, leading to the trial, leading to the conviction, leading to the crucifixion. So again, the beginning of the end of the plans to take Jesus out. Here we go. So, and immediately while he was still speaking to who? To Peter, James, and John. And now he's rejoined the other eight. And now there's 11 plus Jesus and Judas comes, but not alone. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, not so subtle. Swords and clubs, we're going to take him. We are under orders to take him. If we don't take him, it's going to be on us. And so there were enough swords and clubs so that if there's any insurrection, any, again, uh, confrontation, they're going to win. They're going to take Jesus one way or the other. And so this crowd comes with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Again, the Jewish leaders that they've hated Jesus for years. They wanted to take him out for years. They've even tried to stone him several times. If you know the story, I'm going to give you a little bit of that a little bit later on. And so this mob is fueled by their desire to go ahead and bring Jesus uh, to trial. And so verse 44, now the betrayer had given them a sign. So part of this beginning of the end was the arrest. Well, how do you identify someone in the dark? You don't have flashlights. You do have torches, but Jesus is not going to be alone. So they come up with the idea. I'm going to go ahead and kiss him. I'm going to get real close. I'm going to kiss him. And then you will know. And then you need to take him right away. And that's what happened. So now the betrayer had given them a sign saying the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And lead him away under guard. Actually, if you Google uh, kiss of death, um, you, you have two. One earlier, one later. One is the, the, the mafia movies, right? Where uh, the, the kiss of death means you're going to go ahead and be six feet under. Even before that, even Wikipedia says it came from a Thursday night. It came from this kiss. Question, why, why, why a kiss? And... Uh, Take a look at verse 45 and 46. So this was the plan, and it happened just this way. And when he came, he went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi, by the way, that's a title of respect. I don't believe that was sarcastic. Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him, and they took him. Why a kiss? I told the first service, I think, that, uh, I think there were some mixed feelings that Judas was experiencing. He really cared for Jesus. He was there when he fed the masses. He was there when he healed. He was actually part of Jesus' healing ministry. So there was something of God going on. Judas knew that. So there was mixed feelings. I think he wanted to even maybe kiss him and say, I am so sorry. But you're not the one. That was it. See, again, This whole series, I'm calling it A Case for Christ. And you see through this gospel, these 16 chapters, people are finally moving away from the middle of, I'm curious about him to either I'm going to kill him or I'm going to crown him. Judas made his decision. I care for you. There's so many things you've done that were really good. But you are not the Messiah. You were not the one descended from heaven. To be the answer for our people. Because the wrong, all that. And so we talked about that. So I think there are some mixed feelings that Judas had. But Judas made his decision. My question for you. Have you. Don't stay in the middle. You can't stay in the middle. You're going to see more people this morning move from the middle. And uh, I hope at the end of this series. If not maybe this morning. You make, a, you make an informed decision. Do you back away? Or do you buy in? And so again, Judas, uh, he made his decision. You need to die. You're not the one. And so the Romans seize him. Take a look at verse 47. So after G- Judas's betrayal, there's Peter's resistance. Verse 47. But one of those who stood by of the disciples drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now Again, we don't know it's Peter from Mark's gospel, but John 18, if you want going to write that over there, we do know who had his ear cut off. His name was Malchus. He was a servant of the high priest and we know that it was Peter. <laughs> Peter was really more of a fisherman than a swordsman. So he really wanted to kill the guy. He's going to defend. Hear me. And we're going to spend more time on Peter next Sunday. Uh, but I'm going to say this morning, Peter was ready to die for Jesus. You don't raise your sword in front of a crowd of trained soldiers that have clubs and swords. Peter was ready to die. As a matter of fact, if Jesus didn't step in, Jesus saved Peter's life right here. And so Peter took a sword and went after this guy's head. And honestly, there's two choices, right? He either went vertical... Or he went horizontal. Either way, the ear is lopped off, okay? Vertical, the guy has a helmet. I'm just, this is Bob, not Bible. And, but if there was a helmet going on, you hit it, the helmet deflects, and then the ear comes off. Or the horizontal, and the guy does the matrix duck, and then the ear goes. Either way, the ear is gone. And it's interesting, uh, Luke 22, you can, that's another cross-reference, uh, along with, with, with John 18. Jesus heals the guy. And so right away, before a roman soldier can kill peter jesus tells peter stop put put the sword away that is not how this night is going to be played out so then he heals malchus this is the second miracle before Jesus is taken. The first one is uh, the whole mob basically falls out, falls away when the authority, when the presence of Jesus is being confronted that Mark doesn't include. So this is the second. But honestly, why did they keep going? You talk about a hardened heart. You think that would have, okay, guys, are we sure about this? Did did he just healed the guy's ear? Their hearts were set. There's nothing that could have been done that night that would have dissuaded Their intent. So uh, take a look at at, uh, John John 18. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high servant uh, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, stop. Put your sword in his heath. You're not to die tonight. Put your sword in his heath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? There's calm clarity that Jesus had after he prayed to his Abba, paid to his father, and got a renewing word that this is the plan. You are the one. And so uh, Peter puts his sword back and, uh, and Jesus, in a sense, drinks drinks the cup. So now Jesus asks a question. Take a look at Mark 14, verse 48. So Jesus said to them, now it's said to the mob, clubs and swords, and uh, Have you come out at me? Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? I mean, is is that necessary? Guys, you've seen me every day. Uh, Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. What was Jesus identifying? Why so secret? If this was to be, if this was right, if this was legal, why are you doing it now? I think Jesus was trying to get them to walk in the light. A little bit more of a sermon pause this morning. I think sometimes God would ask you and I the same thing. Bob, why so secretive about this? If it ought to be done, why are you doing it at 2 o'clock in the morning? If, if it ought to be done, why the cloak and dagger? So God calls all of us back then and say to walk in the light. Just a little free sermonette here. If you're not walking in the light... Maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah? That one was free, okay? Unpause here. And that's what he's saying here. Have you come out during the middle of the night? Day after day, I was with you. Why didn't you tell me then? But hear me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. What is that? That's the statement that after we kind of walk through the story, I'm going to bring back. Because Jesus is thinking prophecy. Matter of fact, his whole life was one fulfillment of prophecy after another. And if you miss prophecy in the Bible, you miss most of the Bible. So I'm going to ask and answer two questions during this message this morning is, what is prophecy and why is prophecy? Who was it for? And uh, I look forward to unpacking that after we get through the the story. But I'm going to come back. So Jesus says, let the scriptures, let the prophetic words of God's word uh, be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Question, which prophecy was Jesus referencing that would be fulfilled? I can't say for sure. There's a lot of prophecies that Jesus did fulfill that he was aware that were being fulfilled. But let me give you three guesses. Uh, One, about 1,000 B.C., one, 700 B.C., and one, 500 B.C. Uh, You get to choose. And actually, there were more. But uh, here, here are some. Uh, So uh, Psalms 41, verse 9, 1000 BC, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. 700 BC, Isaiah, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. I'm going to give you Isaiah 53, 8 in just a minute. Remember, or or, or 7 in just a minute. Remember verse 8, by oppression, by judgment, they're going to take me. I think most likely the third is what Jesus said is about to happen because it happened immediately after he said so that the scriptures would be fulfilled he knew he was coming zechariah 500 bc 137 strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered So there's so much prophecy, there's so much historicity to prophecy because of what was said, what was accomplished, and what is yet to be accomplished. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to this after. But again, so that the scriptures be fulfilled, and they all left him, just as Zechariah prophesied some 500 years earlier. Let's go back now to verse 51 and a young man. So now this is, uh, the next part of this story. And a young man followed him followed who followed Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. That's a little strange. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Well, it's interesting when you go back to verse 50 and they all left him, uh, Now, if they all left him, who's this guy? And if it's this guy, how do we know it really happened if they all left him? Well, who was the all? The all was the 11. This guy most likely was the gospel writer, John Mark. So Mark, see, Jesus had the 12. He was training the 12. He spent more time with the 12 and spent even more time with the three, Peter, James, and John. But there were more followers, um, if you have your Bible, you might want to write down Acts chapter 12, verse 12, because we do know that John Mark uh, continued to be a traveling companion of Peter. And this Mark, his mom was a gal named Mary, one of the many Marys in the Bible. And literally, Acts 12, verse 12, there room, their home in Jerusalem that was larger than most was literally used for one of the many groups of the early church, even after Jesus rose from the dead and, and ascended. So most likely this is the upper room in Jerusalem that was part of the home of John Mark and his mom, Mary. And so again, when Jesus left, Mark wasn't part of the 12, the upper room, the washing of the feet and the, 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 the Seder dinner. But when they left, most likely some left with him. And my guess is Mark didn't leave home with a linen thing. And uh, he left with a robe toga thing. And I think he was grabbed twice because here's the deal. The, the Roman soldiers that came with the mob with clubs and swords, they were going to take Jesus And they were going to go ahead, yes, take the head, but they're going to go ahead and grab as many followers as they could. That's why the 12 fled, because if they weren't fleeing, they would have been taken themselves. And so when they all ran, I think Mark did too. And so Mark first ran, and they first grabbed his toga, they first grabbed his robe, and he kept running, and they took his clothes, and then he was grabbed again. Then they took everything else. And so... And, and he kept running. So again, this is Mark. And uh, this is the only place in the Gospels where this is described. And uh, the reason why Mark wrote about him <laughs> is because he was him. And, uh, and he, he was there. All right. So after Mark's moment, uh, let's take a look at Caiaphas now. Caiaphas asked two questions. Who was Caiaphas? Caiaphas was the high priest. He was the governing religious official of the Jewish people. And uh, he was the one that was selected to represent, literally, ironically, God to the people. So he had that much of a presence, that much of an authority. And so Caiaphas now uh, is the one that is orchestrating this This trial that Jesus, after taken from the garden, was to experience. So uh, Mark chapter 14 now, starting in verse 53. So, and they led Jesus, this mob, with swords and clubs. They took him from the garden. All the other followers left, fled. So they wouldn't be taken themselves, and they led Jesus to the high priest. Well, again, Matthew twenty-six is a cross reference to this story. In Matthew, we know that it's Caiaphas. We know that uh, it was the high priest that was basically going to host this trial. It's interesting too. You study Jewish law, not just their religious rituals. Uh, This was illegal. You never have a trial in a home, even if it's the high priest's home. You always have it in the temple area. And you never do it at night because literally by law, especially for a conviction, uh, you need to have another day to go ahead and make sure you get it right. And so... You, there's so many things that they broke. You truly really can't even have a trial during a religious festival because everyone's going to be preoccupied. So you've got to wait for the festival is over. You can't do it at night, and you've got to do it in the temple. They were breaking every law. Why? Because they got to get this guy. This was the time. During the Passover, everybody's distracted. So let's go ahead and not go to the temple. That'll raise too much attention, even in the middle of the night. Everybody meet at my house. This is Caiaphas. And then let's go ahead and put on our own trial. And so then they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. They all came together in the, in, the, in the dead of night. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. It's interesting. You go to Israel today, you know we can see where Caiaphas' house and the courtyard was. So this is not just fantasy. This really is History. And he was sitting with the guards, Peter, and warming himself by the fire. Now, again, we're not going to talk about Peter this morning. We'll talk a lot about Peter next Sunday morning. We're going to come back to this because it's, uh, it's worth that. But let's kind of keep going on the rest of the story this morning. And he was sitting there, Peter, with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Now, the chief priest and the whole council, what's that? That's the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was the group of 70 who were kind of the the religious rulers that also implemented their civil laws. And uh, so this is kind of as close to their Supreme Court, I would say, in, in our vernacular. And so they all gathered in the dead of night, away from the temple, in Caiaphas' house, to go ahead and bring, hopefully, a conviction to this Jesus. So now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. So the idea there is the Jews, even the Sanhedrin, even Caiaphas, they couldn't kill anybody because they were under the boot, under the Roman law. Only the Romans could bring death, but the Jews could go ahead and sentence him worthy of death. And then typically the Romans said, listen, fine, we kill every." Kill a lot of people if this will keep the peace. So the Jews couldn't kill Jesus, but they could sentence him to die and then turn him over to the Romans, and that was the plan. But to turn him over, according to Jewish law, this was another uh, problem for Caiaphas. You can't just have one testimony. you got to have uh, corroborating testimonies. you got to have at least two stories that say the same thing the same way. But if you can't do that, you can't bring evidence to bring a conviction and so, again, in the middle of the night, Caiaphas is going to get upset because he thought hey, this is working out. Do you guys have your stories? Let's, let's, let's say them. So let's record him and then let's convict him. Here we go. And so the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. Well, a lot of people told stories, but no two stories agreed. And so take a look at verse 56. "For many bore false witness against Jesus, but their testimony did not agree. Caiaphas is thinking heads are going to roll. You guys are screwing this up. We said, he's right here. Can't you say the same thing twice? Come on, right? And some stood up and bore false witness against Jesus, saying, and uh, we heard him say, and this is out of John chapter 2, by the way, where Jesus talked about his temple being destroyed. Then after his temple being destroyed, it'll... Be rebuilt in three days Well this is well, you're talking about Herod's temple. You're talking about a revolution, and uh, Jesus wasn't, but this is the, the statement they're trying to bring against Jesus. We heard him say, uh, "I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands." But yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Guys, can't you agree? So they're, they're trying their best to convict Jesus. And plan A wasn't working. And plan A was, I got to get two, at least two testimonies to bring the same accusation to make it stick according to our laws. Make sense? See, Caiaphas, though, he's not stupid. He is very committed to take Jesus out. And he says, listen, I'm going to plan B. This is not working. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but I have something else that most likely is going to work. Take a look at verse 60. So this is his first question and then leads to a second question. So the high priest stood up in the midst of uh, Jesus and literally says, okay, so whatever they said, uh, is, is that what you did? And so again, they can agree. And so they're saying, so Jesus, maybe you can be the corroborating testimony with, with, with one of them. That's what Caiaphas is trying to do here. High priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? It's interesting. Notice what Jesus does. But he remained silent and he made no answer. For two reasons, Jesus kept his mouth shut. The first reason is it didn't deserve an answer because they couldn't agree with each other. That's another little sermonette here. Just because someone baits you to argue with you, someone baits you to fight with you, someone criticizes you, listen... Don't spend your life. Don't waste your life chasing all your critics. Pick your targets well. Jesus chose to remain silent. He knew, you know what? These people can't even agree. That is not sound testimony. So it's not really worth me giving it my attention. So that was one reason, but there is a much stronger reason. Prophecy. Jesus knew that most of the prophecies he had no control over of what people will do to him and uh, where he will be born, what line he will be born from. There's so many things about Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. He was not, uh, again, privy to control. And so, um, but this one, yes, if this was the only one, I don't think it'd be, a credible argument. See that proves he's God because he kept quiet. Well, of course he did. If he can fulfill this prophecy, but Jesus respected prophecy and he kept he kept quiet and made no answer. And I gave you already Isaiah fifty three verse eight. A little bit later, earlier he was oppressed, he was judged, and he was taken. Uh, let's go back there real quick. Isaiah fifty three verse seven. This is what Jesus was 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 knowing. And allowing to unfold in real time. This was said 700 years before Jesus. And he's about to make it true. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Uh, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So again, another one of the many prophetic words of Jesus proves Uh, proves proves true so plan a was the testimony maybe plan b was let's let's get you to uh, talk about that testimony that wasn't working so here it is this is plan c and so this was very smart of Caiaphas here's why Caiaphas has done his homework this isn't the first time people tried to kill Jesus for playing God this isn't the first time that he would be asked about if he was more than a man. And so what Caiaphas is thinking is, if I can just get him to say it one more time on record, that he's more than a man, that he is eternal, that he is going to be uh, a king, uh, that he is going to have dominion and authority uh, if I can just get him to, to say something to accuse himself of being more than a man, then we can convict him. And this is exactly what he tries to do. So now take a look at verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him a question. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now for us, most non-Jewish context, we don't get this. But literally, Caiaphas knew prophetically who the Christ and who the son of the blessed would be more than a man. in fact, one of the many references I'm going to give you to in a minute is Daniel chapter 7. So are you the Christ? You're not just the one that will be born. You're the one That came from above. You're the one who came from heaven. The idea. Are you the son of the blessed? The word blessed literally means God. And so it's used several other times in the New Testament. Only for God. Are you the son of God? And interesting that Caiaphas knew. You also said you're the son of God. You and the Father are one. You've also called yourself earlier, you're the Son of Man. Now, in in a non-Jewish context, what's the big deal? I love how the Old Testament puts truth even when it's hard to grasp. So in the Old Testament, he's not only Son of God, deity who came, Emmanuel, God with us, but he's also called the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. So you have these, these, these both truths in the Old Testament that he's God and man. And they struggle with that just as we do today. But they're both in full color. And Jesus fulfilled both of the prophecies. Not only is God with us, but God became man, the son of man. I'll give you Daniel 7 in just a minute. But I just don't want you to miss what Caiaphas is trying to do. He's trying to bring conviction to Jesus. And if Jesus says, yes, I am the son of the blessed. Yes, I am the Christ. Then they can convict him not for testimony, That corroborates, but for blasphemy. Blasphemy is you claim to be God. Therefore, you are not God. Obviously, we got to kill you because that is against everything that we believe in. Let me give you a little bit of a backfill to this. And so, again, if you're here maybe like a year and a half ago when we started this whole series on Mark, uh, way back in Mark chapter 2, uh, re- remember this, Mark chapter 2, 10 and 11. So Jesus this was one of his first miracles and first moments that made the Pharisees and the religious leaders nervous. And he does two things. One, he claims to have the authority of God to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And he calls himself the prophetic name, Son of man, The Pharisees immediately started to follow this guy. Be very concerned about this, this, this new up-and-comer. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to this person, this, this man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bread, and go home. And we talked about that before. It's easy for someone to say, I forgive you. But just so you know that it really happens when I say it. I'm going to do something physically to prove that I can do something spiritually and so jesus heals the guy but he heals them so that they will have an understanding of who he is he is more than a man let me give you a couple more look at john 8 and then john 10 these are the two times that john records where people tried to kill jesus uh, not for anything less than him claiming to be god in the flesh Take a look at John chapter 8, 58 and 59. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, before Abraham, their first forefather, the first Jew that God brought from the Chaldeans, if you know the story, Genesis 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Does that sound familiar? Exodus 3. This is when Moses was about to free the people from Egypt, And Moses says, well, they're going to ask me, if I say, thus says the Lord, does the Lord have a name? What am I going to call you? I am is Yahweh in the Bible. Jesus is using the eternal description of God who is eternal and before even Abraham. And that is who Jesus is claiming to be. Sometimes we miss that Jewish context. They didn't. Notice how they responded. So... They picked up stones to throw at him. Because interesting, Yahweh, even stout, devout Jews today, they never write it. They never say it. Literally, it is offensive because no one is worthy of saying the name Yahweh. But Jesus did. Matter of fact, in their Bibles, um, they made up a word, Jehovah, Jehovah is not in the Bible. Yahweh is. Adonai is. So you, Yahweh in, in, in Hebrew is just consonants. They take the consonants of Yahweh. They take the vowels of Adonai. And they make up a word, Jehovah. And uh, because no one's worthy of saying the intimate name Yahweh. So that's Jewish context. So that when Jesus stands up, listen, before Abraham, I am. Wow, no, you are not. And we got to kill you right now. John 8. Look at John 10. I and the Father are one. Are you kidding me? Not only am I just before Abraham, but if you've seen me, you've seen God. I and the Father are one. Now hear me. That's the Trinity mystery. But don't miss the deity of this. Don't miss the declaration that Jesus says, I am more than a man. I didn't start here. I was born here. I descended from heaven. They couldn't have that. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, listen, I have shown you many good works from the Father. I've said many things. I've done many things. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. So they understood much of what people don't today because you being a man, make yourself more, make yourself God Caiaphas knew, okay, Jesus just say it one more time, put it on record. And then all these bozo testimonies, it won't matter. We don't have to keep getting people to make sure they they cooperate each other. Convict yourself. Are you the one? Are you the son of the blessed? Are you the Christ? It's interesting what Jesus does here. He knows what's going to happen when he says it. But he knows it's time to say it. He doesn't just say it. He doubles down on it. Take, take a look. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed And Jesus that I am? And you will see. I mean, if he would have just stopped at I am, they could have killed him, okay? But Jesus, okay, if you're taking notes, let's describe who I am a little bit more. I am, and you will see the son of man. That's this descriptive prophetic Amazing truth that God became man, the son of man, seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven and the high priest tore his garments and said, what further testimonies do we need? We don't need him. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision, Sanhedrin? And they all condemned him as deserving death. So they got him. They arrested him. They tested him. And he, in a sense, helped them convict him by his own words. Let me quickly, again, a little bit of of, of prophecy testimony. Daniel 7. This is what Jesus quoted, but not just quoted, claimed was about him. That's the point. I don't want to just quote to you prophecy, but it was written about me. That's what Caused Caiaphas to rip his clothes and said, I, I, I can't be in the presence of someone who declares himself to be more than he was. Daniel 7, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So the real Messiah, the real Christ, the real son of the blessed is not going to be from here. It's going to be from heaven And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God Almighty, and was present before him. And to him, this this son of man uh, who came from heaven, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. See, Caiaphas literally saying, who do you think you are? This man's dominion will be everlasting, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one, and and his kingdom, one that shall not be, 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 be destroyed. So again, in this trial, in the middle of the night that they were breaking all the religious laws, basically Jesus handed himself over on a platter. So let's wrap up Mark, and then let's talk a little bit about prophecy, and then let's have communion together, okay? Take a look at verse 64 towards the end. So again, you've heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? Well, he's making it easy for us. They all condemned him as deserving death. And then the hard part of the story starts. So now the conviction leading to crucifixion. But now the humiliation. And this is no fun. It's not supposed to be fun. It of shows you the raw depravity of man. And so here we go. And some began to spit on Jesus and to cover his face and to strike him saying, yeah, you think you're all that? Who just hits you? Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows we're going to pick up on that next Sunday and uh, because when that was going on inside Caiaphas house we're going to spend some time on what's happening outside in a courtyard with Peter and uh, there is a parallel storyline of Jesus and Peter and uh, I look forward to unpacking more of his life and you and I are going to see our lives in there as well for the rest of the time this morning, though, and uh, I got about five minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and just give you just a little bit of prophecy as to uh, why and who. Why is prophecy given, and 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 who was it really really for? And uh, some of this kind of might surprise you. And uh, so let, let's take a quick look. So the purpose of prophecy it goes back to when Jesus says, "So that the scriptures might be fulfilled." God. Meant for scripture to be fulfilled. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is future telling. Prophecy is telling something that is yet to happen before it happens. And then when it happens, the prophecy is, is made true, right? So prophecy is future telling. So that's what prophecy is. But but why prophecy? Here we go. The purpose of prophecy. You might want to write this down. Prophetic words about the future that have yet to be fulfilled, okay, when the prophecy was given, it's really more about developing what I'm calling future faith than discerning future events. See, a lot of people think, well, all the prophetic words of the Bible are so that we'll spend a lot of our time trying to figure out all the details, all the who's, all the when's before it happens. That is not true. That is not how God wants you to spend your time. And so, again, uh, even in the disciples' day, Jesus gave them prophetic words. But when Jesus gave it, it wasn't the time for them to figure it all out. It was for them to remember it so their future faith can be seen even stronger. Let me unpack this a little bit with you. Take a look with me at Luke chapter 18. So again, we've been through Mark. Luke 18 is about a week before Palm Sunday. So we talked about Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, where where Jesus is starting to tell uh, his disciples, hey, it's getting close now. Literally, we're days away, and they're going to take me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to hurt me. They're going to kill me, and then I'll rise again. This is Luke's account. Uh, But Luke gives us a little bit more detail as to what was going on with the disciples. Here we go. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man, that would be me, by the prophets, that would be the Ezekiels, the Daniels, the Isaiahs, the Jeremiahs, all these guys. Uh, So, and everything that was written about me by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So again, he's telling them what's going to happen before it happens. Why did Jesus do that? Notice what it says. This is interesting, verse 34. But the disciples, they understood none of these things. It just went right over them. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now hear me, some people say it was hidden because God caused them to to not understand. I don't believe that to be true at all. What that basically means is it was hidden. It It was not fully grasped. They heard it, but they didn't get it. And here's the deal. Jesus said it, not so they would get it fully, but they would remember it after Jesus did it. So it's not... About figuring out. Jesus didn't say that. So they would be uptight the last week. And they would be all up in arms. Or they would try to prevent it. But Jesus literally is saying. Okay guys. You're not going to get it. But I'm going to say it. I want you to remember it. Because after it happens. You're going to say. Wow. I guess you were in charge. The whole time. So let me unpack this a little bit more. So John 12 Uh, talks a little bit more descriptively about what Luke 18 hinted at. Take a look at John 12, 16, similar passage. His disciples did not understand these things at first. All what Jesus said about his life, death, resurrection, ascension. His disciples did not understand that these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified after the resurrection then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him so that they can say wow so what you said actually happened so I guess I'm going to have future faith future trust to what you have said and is yet to happen do you get that So that's why prophecy is given, not so that we would sit and try to figure out all the names, people, places, and events before it happens, but we would hold on to the promises, live in light of these promises, and when they happen, we will understand more of what was said. So let me unpack this even a little bit more. So Peter was part of this. Peter heard about Jesus' death and resurrection, and he didn't get it. He was one of those disciples that fully grasping it, he didn't have. And now Peter writes later in 1 Peter chapter 1, right in the first part of his letter. Let me, let me share this with you because he's really trying to help now the first century church, and us today, the purpose of prophecy. Here we go. So Peter says this. Now, this is long after Jesus' dead, rose, ascended, and now the Holy Spirit's released, and the early church was born. Now, this is what Peter's writing. Concerning this salvation, it's about Jesus. The prophets, all the Old Testament folks, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours after Jesus came and died for your sins, These prophets inquired carefully. They inquired what person or time the the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So what does that mean? So these prophets of old, God tells Isaiah 700 BC, you're not going to get it, but I want you to write it. I want you to record it. And it's really not about you. It's about you recording something in history, something about prophecy. So after it happens, people can say, wow, God was in charge the whole time. But Isaiah is thinking, but but what about me? You're getting me to write something down that I don't get. I need more. You know what God says? You're going to just have to go ahead and deal with that. Because Isaiah, because Jeremiah, because Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, it's not about you. Matter of fact, what I'm getting you to write so that other people will read is more for them and their future faith than for you. Take a look at verse 12 here. This is what Peter was trying to get them to understand. It was revealed to them what they were trying to write about this suffering servant and this this valiant king. How do you have both? And they were writing about how one who is to come is going to suffer and one who is to come, he's going to reign as as, as king. How do you do that? You're not going to get it. Just write both. They'll get it later. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, But you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Even the angels knew what was coming. They didn't get all of it either. So all that to say is this. What is about prophecy? Prophecy is about your future faith. So there's enough prophecy that was written in the Old Testament and the New Testament that has already been fulfilled. So we can look at those prophecies and say, wow, that was really more about my faith than theirs. And so now, based on what you have already done, God, I can trust you with what you have yet to do. Because if you can do that, you can do this. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's really important. And that's why the disciples had their faith fueled after the resurrection and they understood way more after than before what Jesus has been telling them along the way. So all that to say is, look at the last verse here, look at 13, therefore, and this is our therefore, this is why it is therefore, okay? And so now based on And understanding more of prophecy. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. And I would say preparing your minds for communion. Prepare your minds for your future. Prepare your minds for a walk with God now and tomorrow. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at Jesus' second coming. That's the idea. So there's so much prophecy about Jesus' first coming, and it all happened prophetically, miraculously, in history. So you can say, wow. So based on what you said and what happened for his first coming, I can trust you and live in light of your next coming. My future faith is stronger because of the faithfulness of the prophets that wrote down and struggled with what they wrote down. They didn't get... But it really wasn't for them. (laughs) It was for me. So how do you take this home? Here's three ways. Honestly, you can prepare to take communion. And we're going to get back into the courtyard of Caiaphas next Sunday. But truth handles to take home. I know we covered a lot. Here's the first one. God wants our faith to be in Jesus. Jesus came for you. He came, lived, and died, and rose for you. Make no mistake, you have faith. But have you made up your mind? Do you buy in or do you back away with this Jesus? Because hear me, there's really no rational middle here. You just can't put him in the middle. Well, I guess he meant well. No, the guy really thought he was more than a man. If he was, buy in. If he wasn't, back away like Caiaphas did. And then God wants your faith to grow. Listen to me, church. There's been losses in our church even this past week. And there will be more funeral plans that I'm going to help prepare this coming week. People have lost jobs. People have lost a lot this past week. And God doesn't cause all, but he allows all so that your faith can grow. So put your faith in Jesus and let your faith be stretched. Let your faith grow. Question, have you accepted Jesus? Second question, how is God stretching your faith? What is God calling you to do in obedience that you are struggling with right now? And the third one is God wants our faith journey to be in a larger story. There are many things that happen to your life and my life, and it's not about you. Oh, why are you doing this to me? Prophets, why are you getting me to write this down? Just be faithful, and it's not for you. Honestly, it's not even for this generation. It's for people long after, a 1,000 years before, 700 years before, 500 years before. When Jesus fulfills it, people can say then, wow, I guess, God, you've been in charge all along. We get in trouble when we make life all about us. And if you make life all about you, you will not understand what God allows. So be faithful. Live the life God has for you. Live for him, his kingdom, and not yours. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what so much... Power and potential can happen in our lives if we would just yield and ask how we can yield more. Father, may we be found faithful through thick and thin, through great moments and moments of loss. And God, thank you for communion. Thank you for an opportunity we have to literally experience a physical reminder of the life that was offered on our behalf that we are worth dying for. And you literally came from heaven to here to make a bridge back to you. Father, I pray for those here, especially struggling with their faith, struggling with their hope. May they have a moment with you, a very powerful, a very personal moment with you in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the Lord's Supper Sunday, first Sunday of every month. We have a little bit of juice, a little bit of cracker here. This is not just a religion religion ritual for everybody. This is for those who have said yes to Jesus. This is for you who have said, you know what, this is gonna symbolize what I've already chosen to accept in my life. Jesus is my Lord to lead me, my Savior to forgive me. And, uh, it doesn't mean you're perfect because you're not. It does mean you're forgiven because you are, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you and, 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 and to lead you. Um, during this song, it is well with my soul. How well is your soul? I know you're struggling, so am I. But the idea there, it is well with my soul because God is in charge. He has a hold of me and he won't let me go. And there's a moment actually in the first service towards the end and the Lord will descend. I want to say again, he said he descended the first time as a baby. He's going to descend again, not as a baby. Be ready for that. So have a moment when you are ready to surrender your life afresh, come up and, and get a little juice, get a little cracker and the, the white uh, lids, they're gluten free and then come back to your seat just between you and God, no games, no religion no manipulation let God love on you just for a moment he died for you receive him this morning
1: When peace like you My sh no
0: first together.
1: He is well, he is well with my soul. We see it as well. It
3: Sweeter to do it in community, and I love what we have going here. This is such a great community to be a part of. I hope you appreciate it as much as I do. I have a few things to let you uh, know about before I let you go. Number one is, I would love to invite you to come back here and pray with me at six o'clock tonight, six to seven thirty. Being the first Sunday of the month, we're going to do what we've been doing for the past several months, which is pray for the nations. In the foyer, we have a map of. Uh, of the entire world, and we've been picking 10 countries off of that map every month, and we we color them in as we pray for them, and this month will be no different. We'll have a prayer focus of 10 countries, uh, and you're more than invited to come with me from 6 to 7.30. I've been saying 6 to 7, and we've been running over, so I wanna be honest with you and say, more likely to be 6 to 7.30. If you're available, love to see you come back. Um, also, discover Bible reading journals. If you uh, if you've been waiting for yours, it's it, uh, we've we've printed several. They're in the bookstore with your name on it. We don't have everyone, so if you signed up just last week, we may not have yours yet. But uh, do get on the list, and we will get them out as quickly as we can. And if you've ordered one several weeks ago, more than likely it's there with your name on it on a post it. So we'd love to get those into your hands so we can make the most of this opportunity, the Discover Reading Plan is available, and uh, if you don't want to wait for the paper copy, as the screen says, you can get the electronic one immediately by texting that number. You'll get a link back, and you can, you can join right in. There's no reason to wait. Um, next thing is, uh, you know what the next thing is. I'm going to tell you about Faith in Action Day, because that's, that's what I've been talking about every week, and this week is, uh, is no different. Have you guys, uh, you guys got one of these in your closet? Faith in Action t-shirt? Pull it out. See if it still fits. If it's in good shape, uh, let let's let's represent. And uh, I got a lot more of these that are inbound. But if you have one and it, and it's in decent shape, let's let's get it. Let's let's make the most of it. I want to get everybody one that needs one. But if you don't need one and you already have it, then just dig it up. Find it. Uh, on on that note, Faith in Action Day. I'm going to begin signing people up next Sunday in the courtyard. I'm going to have a list of projects. I'd love to get you uh, committed to one or, uh, well, only one, don't do more than one. But one thing that we're going to try this year that we haven't done before is um, I would like to uh, ask you guys if you could nominate somebody in need, maybe an elderly person, a disabled person, somebody that's in your circles, a friend, a neighbor, a relative who needs some help around the house. Um, We can't, grout your tile. We can't fix your roof leak, uh, but but we can do some simple things. We can do some yard cleanup. We can clean rain gutters. We can do um, some things for people who would need it, and I would love for our church to be that kind of a blessing to uh, to someone inside the church or someone connected to our church. If you have somebody like that that comes to mind right now, could you, uh, could you let me know? Either come see me face to face or write it on a communication card, flip it over on the back, and, and give me your contact info. I will say that... Um, we're going to have to say no more often than we say yes on this specific thing. We can't do every need that's out there. But uh, I, want to, I want to come up with some really good uh, causes for us to get involved in. I can't think of one that's, that's better than that. In the same way, on those communication cards, while they're in your hand, uh, you heard Pastor Bob talking about uh, a need that we're going to have for a prayer team. And a hospitality team, we, we really want to turn the dial up on those two items specifically for this season. And um, if you are interested in joining the prayer team, please let me know with the, with a the communication card or, again, I'm here, you can talk to me face-to-face about it. Likewise, hospitality, uh, that's going to be a, a big push that we're going to have for this season is to, to do a better job of engaging people, um, getting them connected, getting them plugged in, getting information to the right people. Because... I'm not good at it. I need your help. So uh, if you could do that on the communication card, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, that's all I've got. So I'll see see you next week. God bless.